0: back to Rogue Table Talks. This is number 13. This is Mike Sherman. Again, I'm flying solo or not really solo. Jacob's here as always. Uh, He's everywhere. He's here. He is everywhere. The ubiquitous Jacob. Um, Chad is on vacation. Uh, We are uh, working our way towards the end of the book of Judges. uh, And just to sort of, uh, if this is your first uh, experience with a Rogue Rogue Table Talks, we, we, you don't really have to have any pre, pre-knowledge. We use uh, Calvary's uh, sermon uh, theme as a, maybe a jumping-off point, and so we'll be more or less aligned with whatever the sermon is, and often we go off on tangents of, uh, of culture or theology of the church or, or, or wherever, um, and really uh, just have conversations that are sort of uh, using this as a jumping-off point. Uh, But we have been in Judges uh, as our jumping-off point. There's been this cycle that we've seen of peace, followed by disobedience and drift, followed by bondage. God raises up a foreign uh, people, typically, especially in the first part of the book. People cry out. God raises up a Judge. There's deliverance. There's peace. Then the cycle repeats. They drift and so on. and uh, we've seen that cycle begin to degrade, you know, as the book is winding down here in the story of Abimelech. They didn't actually face an external foe; they became their own enemy. It's it's kind of getting worse and worse. Same happens in the story of of Jephthah that we looked at. And so we're going to look uh, at as the as we get towards the end of the book here, we're going to look briefly at Samson, uh, and then pass Samson to see this sort of logical conclusion of. Uh, of dictating to God, of doing what we want, of instead of following him and depending on him, of sort of being the captain of our own ship when it comes to uh, our belief and our religion and our worship and so on. Uh, And next time, uh, when Chad is back with us, we're actually going to close the series uh, on Judges by looking at Ruth, the story of Ruth, which is its own, it's its own book, uh, but it happens during the time of the Judges, and it kind of gives us a different view of what might, what God might be doing in the middle of this downward spiral. We'll see there's still redemption and still God moving and the plan of God going forward. Um, but let's, let's uh, start with Samson, look uh, at uh, what God is doing there. We're in Judges 13, uh, and we see the cycle one more time uh, with Samson. Uh, Starting in verse 1, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah, named Manoah from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. And the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Uh, And this begins the story of Samson. Samson is the the son uh, in question here. Uh, And it's a very um, explicit and lengthy, chapter 13 really, the whole of it is, uh, the angel of the Lord, the actual angel of the Lord, uh, visiting this couple and promising this judge to come and redeem and to rescue and deliver uh, Israel uh, from the hands of the Philistines. And he's going to do it through this this, uh, this son who is to be born. And he's supposed to be, it says, a Nazarite. Uh, so he's supposed to be a holy person, a dedicated uh, to God person who. Uh, Nazarites uh, touched no wine. They didn't uh, They didn't cut their hair. Uh, they stayed away from unclean things and so on. And from this, you get the sense that it's going to be um, this high priestly guy, this spiritual guy, this sort of, I don't know, Gandalf or something, uh, who's going to come on the scene and deliver uh, Israel. And Samson is none of those things, if you know the story at all. Uh, he is really the the confliction of a man, uh, who's divinely empowered and strong, but who's narcissistic, selfish, self-destructive, uh, who self-sabotages over and over again. Uh, most famously with Delilah, if you know the story where the, the source of his strength, uh, the symbol of his strength being this long hair, actually the source of the strength of God's, uh, you know, God's presence um, and it got, kind of gets symbolized in his long hair and, and Delilah wants to subdue him. And, you know, we've talked about that uh, in the uh, Elephants in the Liv- Living Room series, uh, actually, when uh, we're talking about manipulation and they're in a sense, manipulating each other. And, uh, of course, Samson uh, sort of self-sabotages, reveals a secret uh, and, and so on. And he, in, in a sense, is a picture of the whole book uh, because he's his own downward cycle, if you will. Uh, it's actually, you know, starts with this very auspicious beginning with the angel, you know, God himself coming to, a manifestation of God himself coming to visit this anonymous couple during this bleak time uh, in, in Israel's history and making this a sort of audacious promise. And early on, there's a number of occasions where these feats of strength, uh, would be done by Samson and it would say the spirit of the Lord has come upon him. You know, I think there's four occasions early on where the spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he does this, a lion attacks him and the spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he, and he, and he defeats the lion, uh, with his bare hands. Um, and it, God uses this uh, ultimately to, to, uh, wage war against the Philistines, but as time goes on, Samson is increasingly narcissistic, increasingly self-focused, increasingly selfish, increasingly sort of acting on his own strength, and then the later feats of strength don't have that terminology. They don't have the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he's sort of going on fumes, if you will. Uh, And uh, I'm not going to look at the whole story here uh, of Samson, but... Uh, He, there's conflict with the Philistines, there's conflict over, um, you know, uh, he wants to take a wife that's uh, uh, associated with the Philistines and, and uh, that, uh, that uh, comes to conflict largely through Samson's sort of impetuous nature and so on. And, and then of course, Delilah, the same idea, Delilah's uh, to be his wife, and ultimately causes uh, uh, this conflict. And at the end of the day, his strength robbed from him. He is taken uh, by the Philistines. His eyes are gouged gouged out, and he's sort of chained as a display of the Philistines' defeat of of Israel. And he has one last feat of strength where uh, the really only humble prayer that Samson uh, makes, that it's recorded at least, uh, in his whole life is that, you know, God give me the strength as he's chained, and the and uh, the, the the Philistines are are partying in this in this uh, mansion, and he's standing between the, the pillars, and he asks for the the strength to you know push the pillars out, and the building collapses on him, uh, and uh, he's killed. But also many the Philistines are killed with him, and so this last act. Uh, of the deliver of sort of a failed deliverer was the only act where he really in a sense uh, cries out humbly for the strength of the Lord and and God visits him and in a sense God works through his failure in a sense he's a failed judge that God works through the failure to accomplish his end and uh, I do kind of want to maybe camp there just a little bit and talk about what it means to be a failed Christian leader, or even just a failed Christian. And, you know, we've had a lot of, uh, and a depressingly large amount of, uh, Christian leaders who have publicly fallen, who have, there's been scandal, there's been conflict, there's been lawsuits, uh, there's been all sorts of, um, all sorts of things that have brought, uh, pain and division and, um, conflict. And then, uh, you know, brought the church into, uh, ill repute, if you will. And, um, you know, how does that happen and what is God up to? So since Jacob's here, uh, and just so you know, uh, Jacob's never, this is, we don't prepare for these things. It's sort of the point It's sort of, it's a conversation on the fly. So, uh, when I ask him these questions, he's hearing them for the first time. Uh, and I'm asking him for the first time because I don't really necessarily always have the, uh, question formulated and same with Chad and I, which is we don't over prepare. It's just a, just a conversation. Um, so You've read of the, over the last number of years of Christian leaders who have fallen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you think? What goes through your mind? What do you feel? What's your response when that happens?
1: I think initially it's just sadness. I think I, I hurt. Um, who do you hurt for? I think for them. The mm-hmm. The leader. The leader, um, because of the prominent role that they're in, I think I put myself maybe even in their place. Like if I if I were to so-called, you know, cause all the time it feels like, you know, they fall from grace. Yeah. And uh, you know, they just hit the bottom of the barrel. Right. And I think. It seems like bottom of the barrel is a good like man, it just couldn't get any
0: worse than that. It's right. like the very worst thing that could happen.
1: Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's ripping the bandaid off, right? Like the wounds just exposed. Mm-hmm. Whatever right. it is, it's 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 not that it probably just nine times out of ten, right, or the majority of the time, it it, it didn't just happen. Right. It's it's j- a just been revealed, right. It's something that's something. been revealed. Yeah. yeah. And so it's the weight that you. I'm thinking, well, I'm probably carrying that. Like I know it, mm-hmm. I know it, Yeah. but I've, it's, it's the thing that I fall into. Right. And I'm, you know, I'm in a very public arena space. People follow like, and so for every, all the eyes to shift on you, mm-hmm. even your, Peers beyond right. the church or organization, yeah. whatever wherever you are, and everyone is looking at you. Now it's also the mainstream media. Yeah. Now it's also... Right. So it's exposure. Non, now it's, it's non-believers. Yeah,
0: it's vulnerable. Right. It's and shame. It's, it's all of that. Yeah. There's yeah. just a weight that I'm yeah. just... Yeah.
1: It hurts. Yeah.
0: So what do you... When you hear other people talk about it, those things, fallen Christian leaders, so on, what do you hear from them? What gets sad? What gets... You know what is uh, people you know uh, personally, people you process with personally, or and or social media and or people you don't know, Mm -hmm. articles you read about it or whatever.
1: Yeah, I think um, a lot of the times because it tends to be a church. Yeah, I think my response has grown to be, how is the body? Mm -hmm. Yeah, how it how is that church doing how, how, you know, are its leaders responding? How are they still caring for the people that have been shepherded? Mm-hmm. Um, but also like, Oh man, I, I really want to try extending grace. Cause I know that like, if it were to happen to me, I'd want grace. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to just be thrown onto the bus. I would right. want someone to be like, Oh, I, I still, I still love you. Right. I still care about you. Yeah. And so I think I, I do try asking those questions, but then there's, I'm just like, I'm um, boy, you should, you know, sh- they shouldn't have been doing that. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, there, right. there is a sense of yeah. judgment, judgment even in, in my mind.
0: Yeah. I think, and it's funny because people respond because it is a contradiction in, in a way. That's what part of, the story of Samson reminds me of you know he in a sense is a is a is not who he was meant to be. It's a sort of a failed Christian leader uh, before Christ, a failed church leader, poor, you know, failed leader in God's people, uh, but that God used still anyway. And I do think there's all of those responses of, um, you know, sympathy, pain, empathy for that person, for that person's family you know, so on There is shame exposure. That would be this, you know, you imagine yourself in that situation. That would be bad. Uh, then there are people in the church, depending on, you know, the nature of the fall, they maybe feel betrayed. They feel let down. Sometimes you hear, well, that person obviously was a fraud that the ministry wasn't real. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that it's, I think, I think we have to be careful in our um, responses in a sense, not to, you know, not to be justified in not to feel justified in acting ways that are really ungracious and or self-justifying and, or um, maybe maybe getting me to a place that I sort of wanted to be anyway. Like if that's what the church is, then I'm out. Right. That's what church is. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put myself in a position where I'm subject to somebody who could fail me like that, who could betray me like that. Like, I don't want to be in that position. And if that's what it is, then I'm out.
1: Right. That it potentially completely discredits the person that, oh, Anything they said was actually, well, then it's no longer good. And everything about the church and so on. I think
0: that's right. And I feel like, I mean, there's two things that make me, there's two places that I go with that. And the first is that because, you know, I've been around Christian leaders that have then later had some sort of falling out. And the idea that, therefore their ministry was a fraud uh, is based on something that is completely untrue that in in a sense, you know, I want to say this in sort of a qualified way, but all God has to work with is failed leaders. I mean, that's all there is, right? That's all any of us are. All of us uh, are hypocrites to some degree. All of us fail to live up to our highest ideals. All of us will let people down. If you magically, if, became a Christian leader, you wouldn't be insulated from that. You'd have the ability to hurt people, let people down. The double whammy is you're sort of representing God in the church when you do it. And then therefore sometimes people can, in a sense, take that out on God where in a way it's an expression of God's grace that God takes these failed and faulty people and uses them anyway. Because God's, you know, God's work is still done here. Uh, And so that's part, I think that's one of the, in a sense, the lies behind responding in a sort of harsh and condescending way or in a way that, uh, that therefore invalidates the church. When in a sense, it's an expression of the church because, you know, there aren't, um, there aren't they don't Christian leaders that don't let anybody down or that are perfect or that never have a misstep uh, or whatever. just don't exist. That doesn't, that's not a thing. Um, and so, and partly why do I want to think that? Why do I want to think that there are a thing? Um, and then because then the next move, the next thing that I can think is, what is it? What's the difference between me and a Christian in God's plan? What is the difference between me and a Christian leader? What is the, you know, how does the new Testament talk about that when really we're just different parts of the same body? And therefore in what ways am I a failed or faulty representation of the body? And in what ways is God redeeming that and using me anyway? And what ways am I ex- in the same boat, just a different manifestation of the boat? I might be below decks, you know, I mean, whatever, but it's the same idea in which uh, I don't live completely faithfully and completely fruitfully and completely the way I'm supposed to be, but God uses me anyway, and that's the way it works for any of us.
1: Right, right? and why it's so easy, I think. You know, we we follow because we follow people. Mm-hmm. They're they're, phys- they're physical beings right. are in front of us. They're, they're a, it's a physical example. That we can look to and see, and it's actually, I think, a lot of times, myself included, it's easier to be like, well, I follow them, and I'm following their faith, right? And I'm not owning my faith, yeah. Right. And I'm not following yeah. actually so much God as I am following. I want to yeah. be, lo- I want to love God like them, mm-hmm. but am I then actually in turn going and actually loving God? Mm-hmm. Like, am I yeah. engaging in right. that relationship? Right. My faith is mediated
0: through somebody else or right. through a leader or something. Yeah. And I think that that's, I, I do think the danger is in that we're right in calling out failed leaders. Uh, but that, that being right in calling out failed leaders doesn't let me off the hook, doesn't release me from the, uh, my, the call God's call on my life. That doesn't mean I can't let people down. It, it reminds me a bit of, Uh, people who, uh, look at their parents and blame a certain amount of this or that or the other thing on their parents. And, and you can be completely right. In fact, everybody is completely right to some degree because everyone's parents are imperfect. Uh, and one of the things you realize when, as you grow older, is that your kids are going to sit around to talk with their friends about their parents. I mean, it's just a thing. Um. And even so, that you can be right, but at some point, unless I take ownership of my own life, you know, I can find myself 30, 40, 50, blaming my parents for my own whatever. And my kids aren't blaming my their grandparents. I can guarantee you, right? That yeah. at some point I have to take, what is my responsibility? What is God calling me? How do I grow? How do I redeem this? Uh, and it's the same thing when we're, when we're surrounded by imperfect representations of the church or uh, imperfect or bad Christian leaders, we can be we can be right and say, "Well, that's hypocritical," or "They shouldn't have done that," uh, and that can be true. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I don't think I'm going to stand before Jesus and say, "Yeah, I just I had some bad bad leadership, Jesus. That's why I didn't <laughs> you know That's why I didn't do what you wanted <laughs> me to yeah. do." At the end of the day, I'm responsible for me. And it doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean it's meaningless or it's not harmful. It just means I still have to live the life God is calling me to live. And the good news is I don't have to live it perfectly because God uses failed people all the time. Uh, I think we might have talked about this before, but you look in Hebrews 11 and the Hall of Fame, you know, Faith Hall of Fame, and, you know, Samson's in it. Mm-hmm. You know, Jephthah's in it, Gideon's in it, and these are all, and you start to, you know, like everyone in there is somewhat failed, because that's all God's got to work with is somewhat failed people. Right. Uh, and yet, in his grace and in his power, he still does his good work, and that's why he should, get, he should get all the glory. And so, a question is, you know, what is my response to the call of God on my life? And what am I allowing to distract? Uh, And in a sense, so Samson had this clear call and yet he allowed himself, he'd be be self-destructed, he was narcissistic and self-focused and so on. Uh, You know, his own desires carried him down a path and God still used him anyway. Um, What is my, you know, what is my response to the the call of God on my life when I'm surrounded by other people who, so my own self, it disappoints me. And when I'm surrounded by other people who disappoint me and how do I, uh, how do I respond to that in a way that draws me to him instead of away from him and that draws me deeper into mission and in a fuller experience of, of God's grace. Um, because I think for lots of people it's like an excuse to go in the other direction. Uh, and I would just say, um, if, if you're using it as an excuse to go in the other direction, I think you're misunderstanding uh, the nature of the biblical narrative and that everyone in there is flawed except for Jesus. I mean, the only non-failed Christian leader is Jesus. Uh, And we want to think of Moses as this and David as that and Solomon as the other, but you look at them and they're all pretty flawed, majorly flawed. Uh, and the only, Christi- the only people in the Bible, major figures in the Bible that we don't m- know to be majorly fa- flawed are the ones we don't know a lot about. I mean, the more we know about them, the more we know uh, them as flawed. And so, so, as we look at the people of God failing over and over again in, in Judges, we can be reminded that God is still working. God is still accomplishing his ends, even despite of, in, and through. Um, these failed people. And that, as we've said before, he lets them fail, that he's not a helicopter parent. He's not going to prevent Samson from being self-destructive. He's going to redeem it uh, in some way. And yet, and Samson experiences, he he doesn't get off the hook. He experiences the results of his own recklessness, of his own narcissism, of his own whatever. Uh, and so, you know, uh, the work of God goes forward. And so that, in a sense, partly closes that part of that book of, of Judges where you have this cycle and then you get to the last four chapters of the book. And in a sense, the cycle's over. It's just all bad. There's no, there's no cycle. There's no, there's no, um, you know, peace and good times. There's no wandering. It's just all wandering. And. Uh, the recurring phrase for the first part of the book of Judges is, again, the people did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, the re- recurring phrase for the, the last part of the book of, of Judges is, in those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. Uh, which might uh, w- might remind some people of uh, more recent times. But uh, I'm going to look briefly in Judges 17, uh, of just a, you know, some, a vignette or a glimpse of this sort of, uh, what's going on here. So in Judges 17, starting in verse one, we read now a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, the 1100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and about which I heard you utter a curse. I have that silver with me. I took it. Then his mother said, the Lord bless you, my son. So it starts like a bad reality show already. When he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make an image overlaid with silver. I will give it back to you. So after he returned the silver to his mother, she took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the silversmith who used them to make the idol, and it was put in Micah's house. Now this man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and some household gods and installed one of his sons as his priest. In those days israel had no king everyone did as they saw fit so again this is like a bad reality show where it 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 makes no sense and we from the outside we see man that's totally messed up but it's like watching a bad reality show where nobody in the reality show thinks it's messed up right it's to them it's just normal this is just life for them some dude named Micah takes 1,100 pieces of silver for his, from his mom. She utters a curse, and he said, hey, good news. I'm the one who stole it from you. <laughs> and the Lord bless you, my son, uh, which is an odd interchange. I mean, you just have to say he stole the money from his mother. Mother curses. He fesses up. The Lord bless you. Um, and she says, I solemnly cl- consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make an image overlaid with silver and i will give it back to you okay so you know this is obviously a contradiction yeah. i solemnly consecrate the commissioning of this idol um and you're like what what is going on here this family the nation it's got its own sort of twisted logic that made perfect sense to them mm-hmm. like nobody in the story says well this is kind of wacky You know, this is obviously wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is not God's plan. Uh, But the scary thing is um, just because it seems okay to everyone in the story doesn't make it okay. And I think that's one of the lessons for us that, you know, that's one of the things that phrase, in those days Israel had no king, everyone did as they saw fit, means is that everyone was okay with what they were doing but that everyone was okay was what they were doing never. I mean, it doesn't mean that it was good. It doesn't mean that it was going to end well. It doesn't mean God was happy with it. Uh, And so they sort of blindly rush off the cliff uh, as they go. And I feels like as we've seen that towards, as the book has gone on, the book of judges has gone on, we've seen this increasing propensity to sort of freelance You know, and you know, you do you, right? You do you. No rules, just right. Spiritual, not religious. And this is sort of the logical culmination of that. They don't even know what is right anymore. They're not even trying to determine a standard. This is kind of, as long as it's okay with them, this is what they're doing. In those days, Israel had no king. Uh, And of course, historically, they had no king. Saul was the first king. David was the first real king. So on. This is before that. But the phrase means more than that. It means God was supposed to be their king and God wasn't their king. They didn't have a king. Everyone was just doing whatever they wanted. Uh, and in a way, that that's a, it's such an interesting phrase because it so seems to resemble a lot of our current thinking where you just, you do you. Mm-hmm. You know, who am I? You do you. Um, and even if we're sincere, even if we mean well, Uh, you know, maybe the mother seems to mean well here, who knows, um, that, you know, if you're going to solemnly consecrate an idol to the Lord, it's still an idol and the Lord's not real happy about it, you know, uh, and it's, you can juxtapose, juxtapose, you know, just, it's not that many pages of the Bible, but it's, you know, it's a long time. But when the people of Israel came out of Egypt, and of course M- Moses goes up on the mountain and he's gone for a long time and the people get restless and they make an idol. Right. And that thing, that impulse is what gets repeated, you know, all the way through. And, you know, God's response is, um, you know what? I've seen these people. I I know what, I know what they're about. You know, Moses tell you what, I'm just going to keep you. I'm going to wipe all of them out. We're going to start over. Uh, and, <laughs> and Moses, you know, says, no, uh, don't do that. And, uh, you know, there's this remarkable sort of interchange uh, between Moses uh, and the Lord. And this, this idea that we want to replace God with something else, it happens so quickly. But also it's such a serious wrong that the people these hundred years later who would have heard those stories... Um, are so far away that they're making their own idol and consecrating it to the Lord in the process, mm-hmm. and this sense that I can do whatever I want as long as I'm doing it sort of to the Lord.
1: Right. It's this asterisk.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm doing it for the Lord, uh, but it doesn't mean the Lord wants it. It doesn't mean the Lord's pleased with it. It doesn't mean it's actual worship. It doesn't mean it's actual service. And at the end of the day, I'm in those days. you know, they had no king and people did what they wanted. At the end of the day, people are just doing what they want. Uh, and that is a very countercultural idea that, um, Hey, I'm sincere. Hey, I'm trying to do what's right. Hey, I'm trying to do my best. Hey, I'm, I'm just trying to be me. I'm trying to be true to myself, all this sort of stuff. Um, and that can be, true in a good sense but it also can be true in a really bad sense that i'm actually ending up acting out ways that are totally against my design totally against the image of god totally against me being an image bearer and i'm just i'm just confused i'm just deceived i'm just uh, i'm so far away from what god wants i don't even know i don't even know what what that is anymore and so i feel like that's sort of partly where our culture can be there's sort of a a mixture of that while at the same time being outraged against other people Um, but this sense of i'm actually like this is real i'm actually accountable to god that god what god thinks actually means something and that i can actually know what that is if i seek it i can find him if i seek him that changes everything. If I sort of get rid of all of that and God is sort of an idea that I wanna live with and have as a concept, uh, then I can do almost anything I want to in his name, right? In his service or whatever. And I don't, I mean, I think as we see here, things just are, at the end of the book of Judges, everything, everything bad, there's nothing that good that happens, it's all bad. And over and over again, there's just a refrain in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. And th- it's almost like the commentary of, and this is what this looks like. Right. When everyone does what, you know, what they see fit, this is what happens. And it's all bad. <laughs> uh, and I think, it's, I think there's still even people like myself, people who grew up in the church, who people who basically understand that, we grow up in a culture that wants to have an optimistic view yeah. of the progress of humankind. And this, this back half of the this back part of the book of Judges certainly speaks against that pretty strongly that when we have no king, we do as we see fit. Um, we may have more, we have may shi- have shiny things and we may invent new things and so on, but it's not going to turn out well. So do you think that that idea is prevalent in our culture that, Hey, if we just keep going and everyone gets more education and you know, we have better healthcare, then everything's going to be good. We can do whatever we want. You just do you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's whatever, it's whatever, and how I see it, it's like whatever you attach your identity to Uh it like, and that's you do you. Right. You do you. And it's, right. you're attaching your identity to something that isn't Christ. Right. It isn't the spirit. Right. And so whether, like last week, you know, whether that be money or yep. if it's healthcare, it can be abstract. It doesn't have to be something yeah. right. material mm-hmm. even. Right. But if it isn't, you know, divert if it isn't in God.
0: Yeah then it's a problem and even if you could conjure a world in which there's no systemic injustice and no racial racism and everyone is relatively prosperous and there's education for all and you know apart from following god i'm not sure you can but let's just say you can the idea would be yeah if we could eliminate all of these problems well then it would be utopia right Uh, and I don't think that's the biblical narrative at all, because that's not who we are. We're not made to live independently of God. We're not made to live relatively educated, relatively prosperous, relatively healthy, uh, independent lives from, from God, that we're made to be dependent on him. And I do think one of the sobering messages of the book of Judges is, um, like, what do I think of me doing what I see fit? You know, what do I think Mm -hmm. of that? Do I think that's basically a good thing? And I think all, I mean, in our culture, it's hard, you know, it's hard not to, to say it's my time. This is my Saturday. This is my money. Mm -hmm. You know, this is my business. Uh, This is my decision. And independently, who is anyone else to speak into that? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that sounds pretty familiar, right? Yeah. And yet those are all the wrong questions, right? If we're really reading the book of Judges there, that was their problem from the beginning. They drifted from God, they got out of dependence and bad things happened. And so a series of questions, as you said, identity related, who am I? Am I called, do I have a mission? Am I called into a particular, what story am I in? Mm -hmm. What is my calling? Who am I called to serve? What am I called to give? Those are all questions that mitigate against all of this sort of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Do you feel like we ask those questions very much?
1: Yeah, uh, maybe, (coughs) maybe. I think maybe most of the time indirectly. Uh, But I also don't, yeah, I think those are questions that maybe we don't want to answer or we know the answer and we don't want to admit it.
0: Yeah, um, and I think that's taking all the way back to the beginning. You know, yep. one of the things a failed leader can do for me is to let me off the hook of all of those questions. Yeah. And really, however, you know, however many failed leaders there are, none of those questions change. I am still called to a certain, I have a calling, I have a mission. I have, I'm going to stand before God. Was I faithful in what he asked me to do? Mm-hmm. You know, was I transformed by his spirit? Did I become more Christ-like? Did I serve? Um, was I, did I make myself last so that others could be right. first? Was I serving of all so that others could be greater? Um, those are all things that are independent of anything else. And they're really the opposite of in those days that yeah. Up King and people did it as they saw. Yeah. That.
1: They're all questions of accountability. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. Purpose, mission, responsibility, accountability. Um, and you know, if, if I am, if I am uh, put myself into a place of dependency so that these questions can be asked, then God is going to do stuff uh, in me. And to the extent that I fail in all or most of these stuff, as the judges tells us, God's in despite of that. Right? God works through, God redeems, yep. God does good stuff. So even if I'm the failed Christian, God redeems, God you know God works, uh, and you know God's mission goes forward, and that's you know the book of Judges. If it says nothing else, it's that things can go really bad, and God still gets His mission accomplished. Yeah. Um, and so with that, if things are going really bad for you, uh, or if you're decrying the failure of someone else, or you're decrying your own failure we can be encouraged. God has grace. God's going to move. God's going to work. Even if we don't see how, you know, his plan will go forward. And so hopefully that's an encouragement. Uh, and as we then look at the encouraging story of Ruth uh, that occurs during this time of the judges, we'll have that as a backdrop as well. Like God is faithful. God is gracious. And God wants to use us uh, however
1: he chooses to. And with that, hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.